0: is sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin is that reassurance deep down in my soul. He's got it all in control. Amen. Let's put it in
1: the key of F. We just want to welcome you this evening, and those who are streaming with us, we just want to welcome you. Let's sing that song, Lord, I Want to Serve You More. Lord, I want to serve you more. Softly as we uh, just go ahead and turn the order of the service We have several prayer requests here that we just want to mention uh, We just want to remember uh, Sister Tracy Rabin uh, With a need there And we also just want to um, remember Brother Troy Sister Connie Hughes uh, 11 a.m. on Thursday They have surgery So we just want to remember them uh, there are several who are just not with us, or just not able to be with us, and uh, we just want to remember them, uh, this being Ethan McCafferty, and uh, we just want to uh, remember the Jacksons and the Pritchards who are away due to work, and also just remember uh, my dad, Brother Keith, who is away working, um, but also is, even though out of uh, the quarantine, is still trying to recover, get his strength back, so we just want to remember him. Uh, Also, if you could just remember Sister Amber and her family uh, who were exposed and still going through quarantine, so we just want to remember them. Um, Also, I have a special need here from Sister Chanel who uh, turned in to please pray for a family my brother works with. Their 18-year-old son was in a fatal car accident today. And uh, to also remember Sister Rosie... Uh, She fell today and hurt her knee uh, pretty badly, so we just want to remember them. And I know that uh, we all still have uh, unspoken prayer requests just by the lifting of our hands. I know I do, and uh, so if you would just stand with me, and at this time, if I could have the ushers come as well, we'll go ahead and pray over the tithes and offering. And uh, if I could have Brother Jaron come up and pray over these prayer requests and just over the tithes as well.
2: Let's just bow our heads and our hearts together and take these special needs to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, what an honor and privilege it is to be in your house of worship today, God. Lord, we sent your presence, God, and we just pray that you would just move upon us, Lord, in a mighty way. Lord, I pray that you would chase away any doubt or fear or anxiety, Lord, or anything that would trouble Lord, your people, God. I pray that you would just take control of this service right now. We submit our spirits to you lord god and we pray that you would just move amongst us lord god to meet the needs god lord i have in front of me several special needs god lord we think of the folks god that are sick at this time lord and our hearts go out to them lord and pray that you just be merciful to those god lord that are fighting illness lord or having to quarantine because of this illness god pray you be merciful to them, Lord, if they're sick. I pray that you would bring them speedy recovery, recovery, Lord God. And Lord, if they're having to just be quarantined for a period of time, Lord, I pray that they would just, Lord, they would be healthy and safe, Lord God. I pray that you would bring them back to our assembly, Lord God. Lord, we think of those that are away from our, our assembly at this time, and Brother Keith, the Jackson family, and the Pritchards, Lord. We think of all them, Lord, and pray that you would just Bring them back to us, God. Bless them, Lord, even while they're not here, Lord. I pray that your spirit would just move upon them, Lord, God, and bless them in a mighty way. Lord, and I think of this family, Lord, that lost the young man, Lord, in the prime of his life, Lord, God. Father, I pray you would just have mercy upon the family, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just be near to them in their time of grief, God. Lord, Life is not promised, Lord God. We're not promised tomorrow. Lord, we know we don't know the day or the hour, Lord, that we may leave this earth, God. I pray that our hearts would always be ready, Lord. Lord, help us to always be searching and waiting, Lord God, looking for your soon return. Father, bless your people, Lord God. Move upon us in the service. Bless the pastor as he brings forward the word, God. I pray that you would just... Bless the remainder of this service, Lord, and may our praise and worship be acceptable in your sight, Father. And Lord, I pray for the offering tonight, Lord, that those that can give, Lord, and those that could not, Lord, would receive blessing, Lord. May this go to further your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.
1: Thank you. You may have your seats. Let's keep it in the same key. Let's sing, um, I Claim the Blood.
0: I claim the blood Jesus shed in the presence
3: now in that spirit of worship. Uh, Brother John Harwell asked us to remember his boss, Doug Whiteside. He is uh, a, a kidney transplant recipient about eight years ago, and he's in the hospital now due to COVID, and uh, sure want to remember him in prayer. Sister Freda, I hope it's all right if I mention about Brother Joe, and uh, Brother Joe had uh, issues and spots on his lungs, and uh, Without going into all the details uh the doctor was very concerned about it but joe came up here one sunday and we prayed for him and uh oh, a month or two ago uh, i would guess it is this last week he had a, re- uh, a scan and a report from his doctor spots were completely gone and we're just very thankful for that that's that's our god heavenly father we are thankful that we can Come into your presence tonight, Lord, just for the pause and the busyness of the week and all the trials that we face, and Lord, the rush and the busyness of life, and just to sit at your feet for a little while, Lord, and just to learn and grow. Father, we commit our needs into your hands, Lord, with Full confidence that you hear us and that you are God who answers prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for Brother Joe. And we just pray you continue to strengthen him, Lord. And I pray that you would just do a real complete work in his life, Lord, that he may never have to worry about that situation again. And we think about Doug Whiteside, Lord. We don't know him, but Brother John does. And I just ask, oh God, that you would go to his bedside and, Lord, just minister strength and healing to his body. Father, we know that you are able and Lord, through it all, get a hold of his heart and Lord, may he turn to you in the realization that there's really no point in living without you. I pray dear God that you would bless all of these needs that are mentioned tonight and I ask, oh God, that you would just remain among us, Lord, and your presence is real. I ask, oh God, that you would just anoint me to say what you would have me to say. I reserve this time and place for you, not for me, but for you, that you might come, Lord, and just deal with our hearts. I pray, dear God, that you'd forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving or the operation of the Holy Spirit, Lord. May we lay everything at your feet tonight and just say, Lord, as you pass by, just touch us and give us the thing that we have need of. Lord, we are a needy people. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity tonight. Bless all those who are not here and those who are listening online. And Father, we'll commit them in your care now with confidence and joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Sing it again one more time.
4: He is here. Hallelujah.
3: take your Bible tonight if you don't mind and we're going to look in a familiar passage of scripture tonight as we begin. This is uh, Shalom in the Home, part 23, and we want to talk about boundaries tonight. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. We welcome all of you here tonight and uh, appreciate you coming out and being here. I know it's Wednesday, I know there's lots of uh things that were stacked up against you today and probably got lots of things stacked up against you tomorrow or things for you to do but I appreciate you making the effort to come and uh we certainly miss those that are not here tonight proverbs chapter 4 and verse let's begin in verse 20 my son attend to my words and incline thine ear unto my sayings and let them not depart from thine eyes keep them in the midst of thine heart Remember now, the heart's a safe place, isn't it? That's where that's where the, the, the safe place is described in Scripture. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. May God at his blessing you may be seated tonight. Good to have all of you and see all of you here uh, tonight. May the Lord richly bless you. I've had lots of people ask me about the situation in Ukraine and uh uh having been there uh, I think I showed you some of the pictures of the uh, troop movements that uh were going on while I was there and passed by them in the car and uh it's a country that is uh um, really oppressed because of the uh different political situations that they found themselves in and the and the pressure that Russia has exerted on them uh Ukraine is not in a sense a real uh um, critical nation uh biblically we'd say uh but what is happening over there certainly is significant and um, I have a, an article here uh lots of people have asked me about you know what's what's really happening this was the best article that I could find on what is uh you know really happening as best as we can know and uh, this was written by um a lady who was a former advisor to uh, George Bush, and uh, uh, it's very well put together. I, I made several copies of it. They're in the lobby, so if you want to pick one up on the way out, you're certainly welcome to do it. Uh, and uh, sorry for the small print. I was trying to get it on one sheet of paper, and I did. Uh, so it's available out there for you, and you're certainly welcome to take that. And if you don't get one, let me know. I'll, uh, we can either copy some more or I can send you a link uh, so that you can read it. Uh, you know, so, sometimes we think we have it rough because, uh, you know, our car won't start or something else and that's rough, but, uh, I was, I was communicating with some of the brothers over there in, uh, in the Ukraine and the average person who's on a pension there and the pension would be what comes from the government or if you worked all your life and got a retirement, they are making at this particular point a hundred dollars a month. The average wage for people in Ukraine would be between $200 and $300 a month unless you have some sort of a special, very special status. The price level to live in Ukraine is about the same as ours. Go figure. So if you're making, let's say at the top, $300 a month, and you're trying to feed your family, buy gas... Uh, you're, you're trying to replace things that break, you're trying to pay rent, uh, and so forth. You think about any medical, you know, things that come up in your life, or let alone clothing and food and all the other natural expenses of life. Uh, it's pretty rough. A lot of people in the country and a lot of believers are leaving because in that country you can be automatically drafted for war because you're standing on two legs and you're breathing. Now they're rallying and taking everybody and their uncle off the streets to put them into a Ukrainian army or, uh, uniform because they feel like uh, war is inevitable. And so there is great pressure within the country. Uh, so in, in my communications with some of the ministers over there, uh, I was uh, finding out how I could send them a little bit of help so that they could help their people uh, in, their, uh, in their churches there. And, uh, I, I will tell you that's, it's, it's just a, uh, a rough situation. Not only because of what they may be facing, but just because of the conditions in general. Their economy's been devastated because of war and trouble and all the strife that's, that's in their, in their neighborhood. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have room on your prayer list, you might want to put down the believers in, in the Ukraine. And there's many of them, uh, that are over there, good ministers over there, uh, and, uh, they certainly, uh, really need help, that's for sure. So, this article helps explain a little bit about the political side of things, not, uh, not the spiritual side of things, but the political side. And, uh, they are, uh, uh they're, they're changing quite quickly. So, uh, that might give you a little glimpse into, into understanding that without going into it, uh, up here. Now, let me, uh, let me, uh, Wade into this a little bit in the subject of boundaries, and I've never, uh, I've never uh, specifically dealt with this particular word ever. Uh, and I wanted to wade into it here tonight and uh, uh, introduce it to you. We may not get through this completely here tonight, and uh, go to part twenty-four. I mean, er, at, at this point, every service we're breaking a record, right? That's that's kind of the way I look at it. So uh, let me preamble just a little bit and say that now we come to the church. Dispensations end time. This is great because a prophet is clarifying; he's being very specific where we are in the timeline. I've mentioned this before. Prophets do that; they orient us as to where we actually are. And he says, "Now we're at the church dispensations end time." That means that we're at the time when God is dealing with the Gentiles, and then specifically, He'll turn back over to the Jews again, and then the Gentiles and the rest of the world will slide into tribulation. And the same son that came and changed the dispensation then comes again. That's going to be from earth to glory. That's going to be from earth to glory. So we've entered into a cycle, and sometimes we refer to it this way as the rapture, uh, where we're moving from earth to glory. And we are uh, spiritually, uh, we're in a different place than where we are physically. Physically, we're here. We're in a body. We're earthbound, and we're still in the body. People look at you, and they say you're still around just like everybody else. But, you know, when they ask you and say, well, where are you really? Well, we can say, based on what the prophet said, we're somewhere between here and there. Right? We're somewhere between earth and glory. So, heavenly places in Christ Jesus means that there is a place or a dimension, if you like, that the believers can be lifted up into until their bodies are changed. And then, in a moment, we'll be taken away. So, that's why I say... That we are in a season of the rapture, we're in a cycle where God is actually lifting and promoting his bride in the glory, but we're not there yet. The translation will change our bodies. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Like Enoch, he was not because God took him, right? Are we okay? In that season, there's a lot of things that happen, as I've mentioned before. There is an agenda that God has for the bride, if you like, or a menu that has things on it that we never really knew until a prophet came and opened the book and now we see all of these things are pretty self-evident. That we, 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 we are pulled together or called out as a bride to come out of her, my people, and enjoy the benefits of the open word. The open word is the effect, it's the net effect of the third pull. Right. The third pull is the opening of the word to reveal those mysteries that lay there all through the ages. In that season, there is a rapture for the people of God, and there's a wedding supper, a millennium, and new heavens and new earth. That's pretty good. That's the kind of agenda, that's the side of the line you want to be on. How many can say amen? That is the side of the line. That's the side of the program that you want to be on. And if you're not on that side of the line... Then, my goodness, it's a great time for you to make a decision. It's a great day for you to be, uh, surrendering your life to Christ. We're gonna do a baptism on Sunday, uh, because, you know, God is dealing with, with hearts. Not many, but God's dealing with hearts, and we wanna be on the right side of that line. You'll never be able to stay on that side of the line unless you're bride. God's gonna shake everything that can be shaking, and I will tell you that's going on. Uh, everything that can be shaken will uh, will be shaken away from the bride itself, and uh, the, the bride will be taken away. One day that will happen. It will be a reality, and the bride will be in glory one day. The other side is a pretty different picture. It is spiritual darkness, and spiritual darkness creeps in like a fog, uh, as we know. And uh, there's a, uh, a precursor to tribulation. It's called a squeeze, and then the tribulation winds up happening. Uh as we have mentioned many times before, there are people who wind up in tribulation and say, hey, hey, wasn't there supposed to be a message come? Wasn't there supposed to be a prophet come? Wasn't there supposed to be something, you know, to uh, warn us prior to tribulation? Which says to me that they'll know the conditions will be pretty evident to know that they will be in tribulation and there will be no deliverance from it. And as a result of that, as a result of that, the people will come to the right conclusion then, not now. Right. So they're not saying, hey, this must be the squeeze or they're not saying, hey, hey, look around. This must be the bride age. Nobody's saying that to you. People are not stopping you in the store and say, hey, uh, you know, I heard you have you, you. go to a church down there, HVT. Or, is this the bride age? People are not recognizing that. Right. They don't recognize because it takes a revelation to recognize that. It takes a, uh, you know, something on the inside to hear the calling of God to realize that you're in the, uh, you're in that season of time in the bright age and you come out of that. In that season, uh, of tribulation, there are chains of darkness, the sixth seal opens up, and, uh, in my study of the sixth seal lately, I'll tell you what, you, you should be glad you're not here, uh, when the sixth seal unfolds and, uh, begins to fulfill itself, and then, of course, white throne judgment outside of that. And, uh, so, there's two sides to this line. I want to be on the, I want to be on the left side, how about you? and I want to be right so i 'm not left in in terms of going but in in the in the diagram, I want to be over on that left side. Uh, have I confused you significantly there? Uh, I want to be on the correct side of that line how 's that and i don 't want to be left. I want to be left so this is uh, this is the the time that we 've come to, and we 're thankful for that and uh, I, I I believe that it would be uh, it would be elementary to say that in this hour, God uh, God shuts that door of mercy and takes the scene, takes the scene, takes his place as a judge of all the earth. And in that particular season, that's not something that you want to face. And God who understands all of the wrongs and takes action in vengeance against all injustice... No matter how small and no matter how personal, all the way to the corporate and national decisions that are made, vengeance is his. And he retains that right because one day he will act on that right when mercy runs out. And we're on the edge or we're on the brink of these things happening. And that's why, in a sense, we're on the cusp of a great reality shift where where things are going to change and it will be a position that people will want to get out of, and you'll be gone. That's quite an introduction, isn't it? it took me about seven minutes. That's quite a, uh, quite a summary. And the people in the world, you know, they're, they're looking at, uh, you know, I, I, I just, let me say it this way. I've said it many times, but let me just say it this way. I'm glad we're not in a position where we look to another election for deliverance. Or we look to a government for deliverance. Or we look to some human being for deliverance. There's there's not a chance in the world that uh, men could have this understanding without a prophet came. And by God's grace, here we sit in a position of being able to see what we see. We really are a blessed people. Now, I, I, I need you to, uh, I've I mentioned this quote to you before and I just want to repeat it. That, uh, this is Brother Branham talking about Jericho and, uh, talking about Rahab and the harlot. And then he says, when God's wrath destroyed that big city, the token held her house safely. The token was on her house when the rest of the city shook to the ground. God himself recognized his messenger's message. I wish I had enough voice really and enough time to expound on that. But, uh, to me, that's, that's a, a great thing that, that God would actually uh God would actually be watching the messenger's message in the same way that you're watching the messenger's message. We watch the mess, excuse me, we watch the message to uh see what we need to know, to see what God would have us to do. We, we watch the message because it gives us great insight and great instruction about the Bible and the times we live in, right? We watch it because we want to learn and we want to we want to know. But that message is so true that God is actually watching it himself and God recognized that when uh when they displayed the token and they had uh, uh the word from uh you know those spies that was as good as a word from Moses that was as good as as good as a word from uh, Joshua sorry uh, back in that day God is watching that and when she displayed that token uh God is respecting that obedience to faith God's respecting her at, as much as uh he would respect Joshua in saying these words and, and here's God looking at uh, what people are doing in response to the message and standing back from judgment for those people. He's, he's actually, uh, respecting the fact that here they are, uh, doing what the message said and they're believing it and they're putting it into practice and they're, uh, they're living it and they're displaying it out for the rest of the world to see. And a lot of people may have asked, you know, Rahab, what in the world are you doing? Not, not having any idea really what's going on, but she's impelled. She's driven enough to display that because she knows that that's a word that's been given to her that she can count on. But you got to remember God was also watching that word and believing that if she put that out there in faith that she was going to be protected and God moved the angels of wrath right beyond that house. What does that say to us? That says to us that, uh, let me tell you, uh, this message is not something to play with. It is absolutely true. And the things that God has said in his Bible and the things that God has said through that messenger, they're going to come to pass. And even if we don't have it all figured out, you're better off just walking in obedience to it and submitting yourself to it because God's going to respect that word. He's not going to respect your feelings or he's not going to respect your excuses or anything else. He's going to respect his own word. And so therefore, our commission is to follow and follow closely. So here's Brother Branham saying the same thing, second paragraph. He said, is that really those seven thunders that are fixing to water out something that the little group has gathered together will receive a rapturing faith and go in the rapture when he comes? That's what uh, Brother Branham is, is concluding, and that's what he's speculating here in uh, in December of 1962. He's coming into the third poll and he's realizing that this could be that, and if this is that, then, then that's a, 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 certainly a changing thing. So God says, uh, and and we find in Ephesians 1 here, that uh, as Paul writes, that God would give us, and this is his prayer for the bride of Christ, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and that our eyes of understanding would be enlightened and we'd know what is the hope of his calling. The knowledge that God reserved for the last time is a very valuable thing. It is not only the perception and the knowing of what's going on, but it's also the discernment to help us to be uh, avoiding wrong things and to help us sense the presence of God, it's a discernment that helps us understand many things. And that wisdom is a very valuable thing. That's a wisdom that comes from above. Hosea wrote many years ago, he said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not that they haven't seen the works, and not that they haven't heard the, the book read, not that they haven't, you know, been around good men, but they're destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they fail to discern what God is really telling them and what God is really requiring of them. And so that's why we do this. And that's why, that's why all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So that, so that all of this is preached and it's found in scripture and it's, uh, it, it's elaborated on so that we could have uh, the right understanding of doctrine so that we can be reproved, so that we can be corrected, and we can be instructed in righteousness. God wants you to get it right. God wants you to hear it right. God wants you to practice it right. Okay? That the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So he does not want us to proceed without having what we need to face uh, what's, what's on the path. Uh, going forward so that's why a lot of these things are taught and taught over and over again each generation and all all of the uh, things that are included for instance so uh you know this is what this is what paul put in the early church and this, is a, this is a new testament prophet to the new testament church hang on now we're going to talk about boundaries in a minute here we're I'm just preambling a little bit but all scripture is given to us to furnish us and and to perfect us here Just like the ministry is given to minister the word to perfect the the body of Christ. But in this case here, it's interesting because Paul says in verse 3, The aged women likewise that they be be in behavior as becometh holiness and not false accusers are given to much wine and teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children. So it's not incumbent upon the pastor to teach, uh, teach everyone everything. It's, it's incumbent about, or a responsibility that's given to parents to teach their children, and specifically here for, uh, aged women to teach their daughters. Because they're gonna be able to teach them things about, uh, you know, about the things they're going to be dealing with up the road here better than I can, right? Because I've, I've never preached a sermon on childbirth, and I probably never will. But I have some people I could refer you to. And uh, this this also implies in here a a, a a responsibility not only for the young women to learn from the right source. And the right source doesn't begin with a G. But it also is a responsibility for the women to be the kind of women that can pass along what's needed to another generation. So God help our young women to draw off in the right well. Let's pray that our aged sisters are that right resource. Right? Now, don't get offended at aged women. Aged women is not old women. I would lose my head if we preach that. But it means that a woman by experience and by age and by virtue of being able to say, been there done that they're able to pass along things in a godly way to younger women and so that's the idea it's it's important for the aged women to be in a position to teach but it's also important for the young women to want to get the right information from the right source and to love their own husbands and to be discreet and chaste and keepers at home good obedient to their husbands that the word of god be not blasphemed so, in doing that, they're actually teaching. You understand what he's getting at here? By living that, by an aged woman actually living and modeling that, she 's teaching. Young men also likewise uh, exhort to be sober-minded and in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and in doctrine showing uncorruptness and gravity and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, this is where we kind of come into this idea about boundaries, because it amazes me sometimes to see how uh, you know, we have a generation of kids that, um, and I, I've seen this in particular. I'm not, I'm not referring to anybody here, all right? You've got to trust me when I say that. But there's some, uh, some people who uh, have discovered that their daughter and this boy uh, are actually pretty tight. You know, they're pretty close. They're already wrapped up in a relationship. And then he comes to the father and says, hi, my name is Bob Schumazoo and... Uh, you know, I just wanted to ask you, is it all right if I communicate with your daughter? You know, in, and, and in reality, hey, this has been going on a long time. This has been going on a long time. But if young people operate with no boundaries, nobody, in a sense, nobody is there to tell, nobody's telling them, hey, you don't want to go too far here. There's a, there's a healthy boundary here that you can put between yourself and this guy until, until he, you know, makes a, a, a proper communication with the family here and asks some permission and that kind of thing. That's, that'd be appropriate thing for you to do. So, you know, there's a boundary here. But in reality, there's a lot of young people that have free reign without any boundary at all in their communications today. And even to suggest it by me, your pastor, people look at me and say, you are just over 30. So forget it. You have no idea. You don't have a clue what you're talking about here. So we don't have to listen. Don't have to listen. Don't have to listen. Because there are, there are issues that can happen when we have no boundaries, and no restraints, and no accountability in the system. There can be issues. And so therefore, it is important then for us, as Paul writes here, that the most effective teaching method is to live it. And in all... In all things. In all things. So this would mean your social media. This would mean your dress. This would mean your response to your husband. Your your reply to his requests or whatever else. In all things means in all things. In all things means that you're going to show yourself a pattern of good works. And for uh, aged men as well, they're going to show a pattern of good works to influence these young men. And we want these young men to be sober-minded. If their parents are not sober-minded, if their parents uh, avoid uh, you know, any, any of those things in, in their daily life, but come to church and are holier than thou, then the young men are going to have a tough time balancing what the book says and what my parents live. And the bigger, listen, the bigger the gap between what the book says and how they live, the bigger the confusion in the mind of a young person. Because they don't have the maturity to be able to figure out a reason why is this so. Right? Now, I may look at that and have a different conclusion. But a young person, a 13-year-old, who was always, always conditioned and told to obey his parents. Right? And that's biblical. And the book says this. He's getting old enough to read the book and figure out what it says. But his parents are living out here. The bigger that gap, the more the confusion is in the heart of that young person. And so Paul is... Putting the challenge out there, but remember he's putting it out first for parents, that in all things, we show show you need to show yourself, you need to display yourself. You need to put yourself on display and show a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, in gravity, in sincerity. If the Bible talks about paying your tithes, if the Bible talks about getting a haircut, if the Bible talks about paying your taxes, right? If the Bible talks about paying the things that you owe. The Bible talks about, you know, living an honest life, sound speech that cannot be condemned. He that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So uh, the best way to do this proactively is to get it right in the first place. Figure out what's a good pattern I can model myself by. Who is, who is it that I can emulate? Who is it that I can look at as a model, begin to pattern my life after that, and then the generation that follows me will pattern after that. You remember I told you before, and I'm sorry for uh, dredging up some familiar illustrations here, but just to make the point that we are all not born on this earth on the same day, right? We're born this way, where Adam was born first, and then Eve, and then the offspring came, and everybody's, everybody's got different birthdays. We could all have the same birthday, right? We could all be teenagers together. We'd all be, die together on the same day. It all happened simultaneously. God didn't choose it that way. He went like this, and he tilted the timeline and said, okay... Uh, we're going to have, we're gonna have uh, a generation, and then we're going to let them grow up a little bit, and they're going to have kids, and then we're going to have two generations, and then we're going to have a third generation and a fourth generation, all the way down to where we are now. So on that timeline, you always have somebody that you can look up to. On that timeline, you always have an example ahead of you, somebody who's been on the road longer than you have, and you can learn from them. And you need to... And unfortunately, today you need to work a little bit at trying to find somebody good that you can pattern after, but you need to find somebody to pattern after because the world if you don 't find that, the world will give you all kinds of uh, you know uh, diversions to pattern after and think that that 's really cool uh, to be like this sports hero or something else right Are we okay but but this this part is also true that if the line is like this, then you who are up here. In the August season of life, how's that? You're not old, but you're in the August season of life, you have to remember somebody's behind you looking at you. So if you're a parent, remember you got somebody behind you looking at you. So we have to act in a certain way because somebody's, oh, the way God made it is that somebody's always looking at you. Somebody's always looking up to you. So when you, when you parents and grandparents and the elders among us, we had to be mindful of the fact That there are people behind us who want to know. How, what do I do in this situation? How do I handle this? What do I do in a crisis kind of like this? And that's an important thing for us to learn. So Proverbs 29 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother, uh, to shame. If we put in the meanings of these words here, the rod, which is physical difference, sorry, physical discipline and reproof, which is correction, if they give wisdom, they're needed. It's not just lecturing, and it's not all physical. But there's a balance in here. And the rod and the reproof, they give wisdom, but a child is left to himself. In other words, he has no boundaries. He has no accountability. Are we okay? If it's all rod, you'll have kids that are submissive, but emotional. They'll do whatever they can to avoid the physical punishment. But they're unemotionally attached. They're not learning to do, to avoid certain behaviors. Because they don't want to offend you. They're just avoiding the spanking. So if it's all rod, that's what you produce. If it's all reproof, uh, kids will see through that. And they become defiant of authority. So there's a balance here. And that's what Solomon is telling us. And that a child left to himself. A child left to himself has no, no one to answer to. He is subject to what his immature mind can come up with. And today... Today, in our world, immature minds can be pretty ugly. And I'm not saying you're ugly. I'm just, and I'm not saying, I'm saying this in general. That uh, the conduct of the, uh, the conduct of those that are unrestrained today can be pretty bad. Go and talk, look, if you don't believe me, because I know you're looking at me and saying you're over 30. You really don't know what you're talking about uh, when it comes to young people here. But I will say this. I would love to take a session and have some of the people who go to this church who work in daycare centers and have the kids who are five and under, uh, have them repeat what some of the kids five and under tell them. It'll blow your socks off. It's just amazing what kids under five know who are out in the world. And, uh, you know, they're, in a sense, they're unrestrained a lot because... Uh, you know, their parents are working and sometimes that's, you know, it's legitimate. I'm not being critical here. I'm just saying that there are a lot of kids that are, uh, left to themselves. And so therefore they're entertained by things that are not always wholesome. Right? So we referred to it years ago as the latchkey generation where mom and dad are working or mom and dad are out and so kids have a key. They have their own latchkey uh, to get in and they wind up spending a lot of time on themselves. And, uh, you know, it's it's a tough thing when parents find out what their kids have been up to because they've had so much free time on their hands. And then, you know, the police knock on the door and they'll, they'll say, uh, you know, ma'am, we found your son here. And they'll say, no, no, my son's a good boy. My son is a good boy. And that's about the same As when you go up to a house and they have a dog. You ever gone up to a house where there's a big dog? And that big dog just kind of rolls its sleeves up. And by the sound of it, it's going to eat you piece by piece. And it barks and it just sends all the blood down to your feet and you know you're a dead man. Hey, I remember one time I was, I was living in Newfoundland and I had to deliver something to a house. Didn't know, I didn't know who the people were. And so I was looking for somebody and went around, knocked on the door, nobody there. Went around the other side, nobody there. Went around the other side. And as I come around the side of the house, I stepped on the two front paws of a dog that was up to here on me. It was a Newfoundland dog and, uh, I stepped on the two paws of it. And I was, you know, you're, you're going around like this looking for somebody and all of a sudden you realize you're looking face to face with this dog. I thought my eternal destination was going to be cut short right there. I'll tell you what. And then somebody comes to the door and says, Oh, don't worry. They won't hurt you. They, you know, their bark is worse than their bite and you're picking their teeth out of your leg. I always say to people like that, hey, the dog wouldn't bite you, you feed it. But this dog thinks that I'm an axe murderer, and, you know, if you don't mind here, I don't believe what you're saying. It's a good illustration. So, boundaries. Let's talk for a little bit about these boundaries. Now, I I didn't realize how big a thing this is to God, but it is a big thing to God, and we'll... We'll we'll just watch and see how it develops here uh, this evening because this this is an important thing. Uh, I I think from the the scripture in in Proverbs there that um, God does not want a child left to itself because it's not within itself to raise itself in a godly way. God ordained it that parents be involved, actively involved. And you say, well, how long? Well, um, long. I mean, I'm still involved with my boys. I don't correct them quite as much as I used to because they're too big. But i am involved uh, in their lives, and I'm very thankful for that, my wife and I. And we, we just were you know, very thankful that we have that involvement. But the, your involvement changes over time, right? It changes as they grow. But as long as they're living in my house, as long as they're eating food underneath my table, um, I feel like it's appropriate for me to have a certain amount of influence, no matter how old they are. You, you may not. I mean, that's a pretty mute amen there, but, uh, you know, the world thinks that, hey, when they come to 18, that's it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. When we, when, when our boys blew out 18 candles on the cake, they never blew their parents away. Uh, because you know why? I don't find that a biblical concept. It isn't biblical. That's, that's societal. That's, that's the way our government has described it. To me, if you're gonna, if you're gonna wanna be a man, then you know what? You should act like a man. If you wanna have the freedoms and respect of a man, then act like a man, and we'll treat you that way. And you know what? You can do that at 16. You can do that at 20 years old. There's no magical line you cross when you're 18 and all of a sudden you're shaving. It doesn't work that way. There's a growth. There's a pattern of, of living, and a ladder of responsibility as we've described before. So, Boundaries are, are pretty important. And uh, as uh, Satan said to God in, in that passage in Job, uh, which is an extraordinary interchange, but uh, he says, hast thou not made a hedge around about him?" When God puts a hedge around something, let me tell you, you're not going to break through. You should, and I, I'll just drop this in, you should pray a hedge around about your children every day. You should pray a hedge around your family and your household every day. You ought to do that. You ought to say those words because we want God to place his hedge around about us. Uh, We need to we need to pray for our young people and ask God would put a hedge around about them. Uh, Don't don't not say amen here. We need to have an amen. We need to pray that God would put a hedge around our church because Satan will try to break in whatever he can. And I'd rather have God's hedge around about all the perimeter of this church uh, because that's the best defense. You need it personally because of the world we live in. Your kids need it even more than you do personally because of the world we live in. Your marriage needs to have a hedge. In other words, hey, this is the place of safety that God's ordained. And don't be reluctant at all to pray a hedge and say the words. Lord, put a hedge around about us today as our kids go out to school or as I go off to work and leave my family. Or if I go overseas and I'm traveling on the mission field there. Lord, put a hedge around about our family here and watch over them until I come back. Satan's not always agreeable, but I'll tell you what, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose by asking God to put a hedge around about your house? And Job says, when you put a hedge around about him, I can't touch him, so there's no way we can try him. There's no way we can test him at all. Boundaries matter. Boundaries are put there generally as good things. Boundaries are protections. When God puts a boundary or God puts a hedge around about us, it is for our protection. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. If you have a rebellious child and you lay down the boundary and they try to get outside, they're going to reap what they sow. Right, They're going to figure out pretty quickly it's a dangerous place outside the hedge. A lot of kids will say, well, hey, like Billy Paul told Brother Branham, hey, it's all right, I got this. You know, Brother Branham says you're going to have to leave the house, so he leaves the house and figures, oh, this is going to be great, and has a different experience when he gets on the other side of the hedge, and comes back. So God's hedges are not to take the joy out of your life. God's hedges are not to make your life miserable. God's hedges are there to protect you. But look at hedges if, or boundaries this way. This is a, an aerial photo or a drawing of a neighborhood. And a neighborhood is defined by property lines. Right? Boundary markers. Well, that's a very common scriptural thing. And if we didn't have boundary markers, it would be like the river, river bank in Peru. Nobody says amen because you don't have, a, you don't have any idea what that's like. Peter is the only one here who can tell you what that's like. In the city of Lima, Peru, which is, I don't know, five or six million or something. It's a big, just a great big conglomeration of a city. But every year they have uh, homeless people and migrants who come in from the hill country and the, and, and the smaller towns. And they come in, and without having any money to buy a piece of property. Brother Mark could probably tell you uh, the same way in Guyana. They come in, and they, they're squatters. And they'll actually put up a little shanty house uh, on, on a piece of land that nobody else is on. And they just squat on that land and they assume ownership of it. They don't really own it because they never paid for it. And they don't have, uh, you know, a, 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 a bill of sale. But they're squatters on that land. And then, and then, just about every year or two, they'll have a flood. And when the flood comes, guess what? Everybody who's on the riverbank living in a cardboard house... All of a sudden, finds their cardboard house gone. Because there's nothing there to prevent all of that from being washed away. So, if we didn't have boundaries, if we didn't have property markers like this, you can see how confusing it would be. I mean, somebody then could, you know, if they wanted to maybe build a shed in their house or put a garage up or something, they could put it over here. And if there was no boundary marker, you know what? They could wind up putting half of that on your property. Boundary markers, in a sense, listen, they protect us, don't they? They define a space. This is our space. This is this is our family. This is who we are. And that's not a bad thing. Now, let me just for a moment here, I just want to biblically show you just a couple of things here. You remember in Exodus 19, it's one of the more familiar places here, where uh, God invited the people to come, and he was going to come down on the mountain and speak to them. But he set a boundary. And he says in verse 12, And thou shalt set bounds upon the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. And God defines himself as himself. He's not like the creation. He is above the creation, isn't he? And whenever God makes a boundary like this, he's saying that I am, just like he told Moses in the uh, at the burning bush, I am that I am. I am self contained and i 'm not created like everybody else is created. we find this in uh, Deuteronomy as well, where uh, the Bible says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor 's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance so the the landmark the landmark was a sign of where the boundary was, so this word set is the word boundary there which they shall inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth them. so when they established a boundary marker for a person's property or a farm, then they had to leave that marker there. But the boundary is set in thine inheritance. This is what God gave me, so I'm not going to give it up. And I want you to know that this is the the domain of my family and, uh, you know, my sons and so forth. So uh, by law, they were not allowed to move that and take, shave off some acreage there and put it on the neighbor's farm. They're not allowed to do that. Now... Stay with me here. We find that perhaps one of the greatest boundaries would have to be the token. And without, I mean, you're familiar with the story of Rahab here, but Joshua, and the messengers told Rahab, bring your family within the boundary that God has allowed here and they'll be safe. And you know what? God did not just leave it to Rahab's age. God has said the same thing in our time. So spiritually, we have boundary markers around our property. In my in my land that I live on, you know, I have, uh, you know, the little poles and the flags are still there that define the boundaries of my property. And, uh, you know, that's my neighbor will mow right up next to that pole and and, uh, you know, he takes care of his own land really well. But let's say that, uh, you know, he grew a great big tree on the edge of his property, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, he didn't trim the tree or didn't take care of it, and then it uh, falls over and falls into my yard. Well, now we've got, we've got something in that space that doesn't belong in that space, not my tree, right? And now we've got a mess to clean up. So... Just simply thinking about, and all I'm doing is just dropping in some principles here, that uh, Rahab and her entire family were saved. They were safe because they lived within, they occupied within that, that boundary. And here's a, just an aside. Brother Branham says that one woman in that whole great economy of Jericho, and she was of ill fame, probably excommunicated, but she believed that messenger. How many can say amen? She believed that messenger. That messenger left the token, the sign, and God honored that. God was watching the message of the messenger. And so it is today. Just remember when God's wrath or that destroyer come, that big system fell, and that token kept her house safe. You cannot afford to live in a house. You cannot afford to live today out from underneath the token. You have to train your children and while they're young and they're still under, you know, eating food at your table and whether, you know, in the years before their feet touch the floor and afterwards when they're dangling car keys in their pocket, you still had to teach them that you're blessed being able to live in a house where the tokens applied. That it may look like because of, you know, what you see on the internet or may what other people do that, uh, you know, it's a... F- uh you know, a more entertaining life out there or whatever else. Once you get outside the, the hedge, a serpent a serpent is there to meet you. And that's not a threat. That's not God trying to take joy out of your life. That is just simply the reality that our world is not a really nice world to live in unless you're going to give your whole heart and soul to the world. Right? And go down with it. But What God says is, remember that when God's wrath came, that big system fell. You know, I was thinking today as I was reading the reports out of Ukraine, I was thinking, what do those people, who do those people turn to? Like, where do they go for help? Where do they go for support? Where do they go when they have a medical emergency? And, you know, we just had a brother who had the virus there, was in the hospital. He didn't get care unless his wife brought cash in and paid the doctor. So just because you're in a hospital doesn't mean that you get care. We have laws that take care of us and we have insurance and all the other things that we're really blessed with. But in that in that particular country where all of the resources practically, all of the resources are divert, diverted to defend against a, uh, a nation like Russia. So there's nothing left for uh, medical care. There's nothing left for education. There's nothing left for paving roads or building new schools. There's no money uh, available for that. Everything is diverted to the war effort. And even the men are consumed in the war effort. And where do they turn to? Let me tell you. I'm glad we have the token. I'm glad we have a, a resource. And Brother Branham said that when that destroyer came under that big system and fell apart, he said the token kept her house safe. I, I'd like to say again, I'm grateful to live in a house where the tokens applied. I'm grateful to, to have what God provided in this last day. Now God, uh, you know, because we, we realize we're living in very much in changing times. And she was a good woman because she had the faith and applied the token. Not because she was a good woman. Not because Rahab was a stellar personality. But because she had faith and she applied the token. That's why God watched out over her. Here's Brother Branham said the same thing. God don't accept me for what I am. He accepts me for what Christ has done for me. So it's not because of my goodness. It is rather because that we have faith and believe. That this is exactly God's mercy to us. Now... Let me just say about boundaries here that a boundary is is something that allows us to be able to keep out bad and bring in the good. And that's a good thing. Let's just, let's just do it like this. And I hope I can get this done here. We can say, sorry... You ever have a a situation where you needed to sign something and your pen ran out of ink? Let's say that boundaries... That's all right. Boundaries are not walls. Boundaries are meant to have uh, a protection and a defined area for a family or for... uh, And you can apply this, you can think spiritually for an individual. A boundary is the the legal place, the property line, and there may be nothing on it, but it is still a property line that defines what is ours and what is our neighbor's over here. But it's not a wall. You can put up a wall on that, but a boundary may have need of a door. Right? If we build a wall there, it will probably need a wall because sometimes there are bad things that get in. And so we need, we need to get out of there or we need to get the bad thing out. There are some times when we want to let good in. You may be going through something in your family and you need to open the door and allow something good to come in. I will tell you this, you always want to maintain an opening so that the Holy Spirit can come into your household, that he can come into your space. But establishing boundaries for kids, I think, is a really fundamentally important parenting action, if you like. Because I think that a child who's raised, even at a young age, without any kind of boundaries, it becomes pretty chaotic. So you can say something, this would be like a boundary. Uh, you know they'll come and say, "Well, uh, can I can I work on the puzzle for a while? Well, okay, listen, you can do that after you put away what you just played with. Put away that first, and then we can take this out. Because if we don't put that away first, then we're going to have two things out, and everything's, everything's all going to get messed up. A boundary might be, helping your child establish a boundary might be like this. That when we go to Thanksgiving dinner, you don't have to kiss and hug every relative who's there. You should teach your children never to weaponize boundaries. Come here, guys, if you don't mind. Manuel, come on here. Girls, come on here. You can weaponize boundaries by doing this. You can say, you can say, Alethea, why don't you go over there and stand by Lucas. You can say, come on in here. Come on in here, guys. Circle. Circle up. We're really tight. We're a a group. And you know what? We, we, We have something in common, and we're glad to be here. And she's not. Because we've drawn her outside of our boundary. We've drawn her out. And you know what? Uh, she doesn't dress like us anyway. Right? She dresses she dresses different. And she never has... Uh, she, uh, we're all musicians and she doesn't have uh, any musical skills. So we're going we're gonna to draw a boundary around us. And we're going to leave her out. When we do that, we weaponize... The boundary. We've used that against her. And what that means is we are creating a boundary without love. The right way to deal with this would be to say, hey, wait there, wait there. Aletheia, come on over here. We're going up to Sweet Frog up there. And uh, we're, we're all going to have, uh, we're all going to come on in here. And, and we're, we're going to have uh, an ice cream up there. We're going to talk about the music and the performance that we have. Would you like to come along? That'd be great. Because everyone would like to go to Sweet Frog, right? So in other words, now there's no harm with this boundary we've established. And we're acting in love because we're not we're not excluding anybody. Right? Thanks. Appreciate it. I'll take you to Sweet Frog one day. Helping kids respect the boundaries of other kids I think is equally an important thing. So that... Uh, if if a person uh, chooses an, uh, you know a different path, or uh, even in their even in their own household, uh, you know uh, ha- a person ha- would have their own things, and a person would have their own space. Uh, violating someone else's space would be the same as saying, um, you know, I got I got good neighbors. We have we have good neighbors on both sides, and uh, my one of my neighbors has prize rabbits. I never knew that until just a little while ago. He's had them all this time over there, and he's got about 80 rabbits, and they're English uh, spotted uh, weatherby something, not guns, but they're uh, some fancy British rabbit that he has, and they're all show winners. I mean, they're big time show winners, and there's all kinds of medals in his shed, and uh, he breeds these rabbits and, and uh, sells them off to people, and I mean, it's pretty impressive to go over there because you think it's just a little shed. And he's got about 80 prize rabbits, you know, show rabbits over there. And they're all really big and fancy and all spots and speak with a British accent. I mean, I don't know how he did that, but that, that's, that's who they are. So if I went over and I said, hey, you know what? My grandkids are here uh, and they'd love to see the rabbits. I'm just going to go over and grab a couple and bring it over to the house and show the kids. It would be a blatant disrespect of his boundary, wouldn't it? But wouldn't it also, too, be a flagrant disrespect to somebody's boundaries if a person abuses another person? That's an extreme example. But I will tell you this, just as a footnote. Somebody who's experienced abuse really has problems with boundaries because in their mind, they've concluded they don't really work. There's an unconscious understanding in a person's mind who's been abused, and especially sexually abused, that no matter how great a boundary I have, you know what? In real life, nobody respected it. And so this person walked in and violated this person. And now in life, that person even years later, they can have trouble establishing boundaries because in their mind, they don't work. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to watch. And they'll, as a result of that, uh, you know, they will be uh, they will be uh, sometimes inundated to be the type of people who will do anything for anyone, anytime, at the expense of their family or anything else, because they've never learned to establish some boundaries. There are some times when it's okay to say no. You're not being selfish, you're being a steward. Let's take your Bible for a minute. I don't have it on the screen here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm not going to be long. We'll pick this up here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I learned a lot in studying this. And I I think, you know, as a parent, I think it's just kind of a good thing for us to be conscious of. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Paul tells them, starting at verse 10. or 9, he starts the sentence. I wrote unto you, uh, in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But now have I written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer. Wow, that's within the church, isn't it? I mean, that's a brother he's talking about. That's, As somebody who professes to be a Christian and is guilty of these things, here you're not obligated to hang around with that person. With such an one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye not judge them with which are within? Paul is saying it's okay. It's okay to flee the filthy. If if there's a a, a, you know. a conversation, maybe a mixed conversation, and that conversation goes south. Uh, I'm telling you as a young person, you have every right to stand up and say, I don't want to partake of that. Whether it's online or whether it's in person, doesn't matter. You have a right to flee filth whenever you encounter it. And even more so if it's people who should know better. That's what Paul is telling us here. Because God limits his exposure to evil, unrepentant people, and I think we should too. Let's take your Bible for a minute. Let's go to another place since you're there in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians the 6th chapter. We use this scripture all the time. Paul says in verse 2, bury you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Wait now. Uh, let's look at that again. Verse 2, bear you one another's burdens. Verse 5, every man should bear his own burden. Let me put it real simply for you. Let me put it in uh, coffee ease that is in verse 5 you should make your own car payment and not rely on somebody else to make it but when your brother in verse 2 has gotten sick and can't work and needs a little bit of help you do everything you can to help him the word burden here is different in both statements in the first uh, sorry in verse 5 every man should bear his own burden that is the weight that a person would normally carry in life. And you should bear your own burden, right? You should uh, work to feed your own family, because if you don't work, you don't eat. And if you overeat, there's a consequence for that. But we should bear our own burden and not expect the government, and not expect the church, and not sit home and play Xbox all day long and let the wife go to work. You should bear your own burden, buddy. But he's saying in verse two, it's a different word for the word burden, and it means the kind of weight that if that person stays under, that is going to cause pain. Pain is not associated with the meaning in verse five, but in verse two it is. So when your when your brother is going through something, a hardship, or they're uh, you know they're uh, burdened by something, or they're uh, maybe been hurt or criticized or something else, uh, maybe they're sick. Uh, you know, my, uh, I remember one time my, my neighbor had, uh, uh, when we lived up in Ohio and our neighbor there had a heart condition and we found out, uh, that he had a heart condition and, you know, he's a real stout, independent, old farmer type guy and, uh, had cows and things like that next to us. And, uh, you know, he was ni- nice enough fellow, but he wasn't a very friendly fellow. But when we heard that he had a heart attack, we were down there knocking on the door. And we said, hey, you know, could we feed the cows? Could we chop your firewood? Could we do that? Because he's under a burden now that trying to get the cows fed and trying to get the wood in and trying to get stuff done, it's going to cause great difficulty or it's going to cause his wife great difficulty. So we went down to bear that burden for him. And we wanted to ease that load because staying under that is going to put him in a difficult spot. The ability to be able to see other people under a burden or to be able to see how what we do affects other people is really a good thing. It's really a good thing when you can see that another person is under a weight or they're in a painful situation. And you know what, I, I, like, I appreciate our deacons and I often talk to them about, you know, if there's a, a, a need that maybe I don't see. You know, because a lot of times I'll see your smiling face here sitting in church and we have a church look, we have a church dress, we have a church way of acting. And that's all right, that's all good. But a lot of times I don't know really what you left when you left home. Right? We don't always know. Nobody else in the church might know what you're really going through. And you're wondering how you're going to make two ends meet. They don't want to stretch anymore. And uh, you might be facing some tough decisions. And we may not know about it. And I appreciate our deacons. Sometimes they'll alert me to things that uh, needs that. You know what? We can help out. We, we can do a little bit. Sister Connie Hughes has surgery tomorrow morning at, at 11 o'clock. And uh, she's going to be going to the hospital there. Well, you know what? I, I, they, have, they have insurance that's going to help uh, cover their need and so forth. But, uh, you know, I, I wanted to come in and just be able to bless them and help them so that Brother Troy is not having to worry about working out here because he's caring for her. I mean, when you have a shoulder dislocated and, uh, you know, your bone is broken in the top of your shoulder, that's got to hurt. It's got to hurt a lot. And so he cares for her a lot. Well, if he's not caring for her normally, he's out working, doing something. Well, you know, put two and two together, right? And and when we when we step in to do that, in other words, we're stepping outside of our boundary and we're stepping into their world to bring good, to bring help. That's a good thing. And this is what... Christians should do and this is what uh you know when we need to make things right we're gonna step into that person's world when we need to help out we're gonna step into that world when we have something good that we can share we can step into that person's world as long as they'll allow that and uh uh you know even God himself he has no interest in violating your uh your your uh property line brother Branham said he's a gentleman he's wait he'll wait to be invited to come into your heart It is our responsibility to open up to him. It's up to us to open up to him. Because we're not living inside of a wall, we're living inside of a a, a boundary line that God has given to us. Hey, I'm thankful for the boundary line that defines the bride. I'm grateful for that. But we want to always keep the door ajar because when the Holy Spirit wants to visit, hey, we want him to come by. Parenting, basic parenting, enables a young person to be able to establish a healthy boundary And say, hey, I don't need to put up with bullies at school. I don't need to put up with bullies on the internet. There are certain things that are okay, certain things that are not okay. We're not teaching them to be selfish. We're teaching them to be good stewards. Because our world is full of bullies. And every in every instance, no matter what we face, it's important for us to leave the door ajar because we may need the help of the Holy Spirit to come. Let's stop there. Let's stand to our feet and let's just say this, that the reason that Solomon says that we should guard our heart because out of it are the issues of life is because we don't want to let somebody come along and put the wrong things in our heart. Just like in the same way, we don't want to have the wrong teaching. We don't want to have the wrong interpretation of things. We want to have, uh, you know, we want to have the truth and we want that to uh, penetrate deeply in our hearts. And so for parents, you know, it's a, it's an important thing for them to learn to live within the space that, that they have, their physical space, but also in their spiritual space and teach their children that, hey, you're going to be your own person one of these days and you're going to have your own uh, your own identity as a person, and you want to make sure that you don't just close yourself off in the world. You're part of a body. You want to make sure that you always have the opening there for the Holy Spirit to come by. That is exactly what we want to teach them to do. That's exactly how we want them to view things. <coughs> Let's sing that little chorus uh, this, this evening here. We, we are more than conquerors. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. Key of F there, if you will. We've been made
4: more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ, oh we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life, we've been made victorious blood of Jesus Christ. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, we speak turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonder. Time now, so just turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and look for. the light of his glory and grace. Heavenly Father,
3: may Lord we learn to use this whole idea of boundaries right. We'd never want to exclude somebody out of malice. But Lord, we want to use wisdom, especially in teaching our children, Lord, where good boundaries are. Lord, you're a separator, Brother Ram taught us. You're one who separates the good from the evil. And Lord, we want to follow that example because we know that evil, and there's plenty of it in this world, it has an effect. And so, Lord, may our homes become a refuge. May our homes become a place of safety. May our homes become a place that our children would always want to come to. Lord, your, your prophet taught us, Lord, that we should make our homes a pleasant place where children would love to come and bring their friends. and It's just a place where good things happen. Lord, may our hearts be that way. May our church be that way. Lord, may everything we set our hand to, may it be a, a place where you can come and you're always welcome. We never ever want to close that door to you, Lord. But Lord, may our hearts just be open, our minds be open, Lord, to what you have for us, especially in this day, Lord, when it's so deceptive and so tricky, and the enemy is working overtime just to try to separate us, Lord, the viruses and different things, Lord, that go on, and Lord, we know it's just the hand of the enemy because there's strength and unity, and Lord, we we're asking that you just give us real wisdom in dealing with things in this world. We want to say yes, Lord, to your ways, and I pray that you would minister, Lord, healing to those who need it. We think of Sister Mary Smith, Lord, and just thinking about her son, Lord, and his wife, and Lord, we think about Sister Connie tomorrow and going through that surgery. Lord, may you bring complete healing in her body, give her relief of these symptoms, Lord. We commit her to you, bless her abundantly, Lord. We pray and Father, those that are mourning loss and we. We, we are so grateful that we can turn to you, Lord. You're a resource, and we appreciate it so much. Have your way now, we pray. Bring us back at the appointed time, Lord, and may our fellowship be sweet. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name and for your glory. And I'll
4: say yes, Lord, yes, to your will, to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord yes And I will trust you and obey When your spirit speaks to me With my whole heart I'll agree Lord yes One more time Oh, I'll say yes, Lord yes Your will and to your way, I'll say yes.